sweet that it is. I love being in God's house, like Brother Greg said. I don't have to be here, but I sure love being here, and I love being here with you, my brother, brothers and sisters in Christ. Hope you've enjoyed the day. Hadn't it been a beautiful day? And I'm telling you what's too, I love the fall. Just something about the fall that just absolutely excites me. We've been for several weeks now, this makes about the 12th week, I think, maybe the 13th week, looking at dispensation, dispensational truth. We've made our way down uh, to, the, uh, to the sixth dispensation. And if you remember, I think I gave John 1 and 17 as our verse for this. It says in verse 17, he said, um, if I can read it without my glasses, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law uh, set in at the foot of Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus chapter 19, and it ended in John chapter 19 verse 30 when Jesus cried and said, It is finished, and gave up the ghost. And something sat on. When one thing closes off, God always has something else, and we're in what I believe to be, to this point at least, the greatest dispensation that we have ever known. Can I tell you all something about grace? And we're going to be talking about grace tonight. I'm going to pick it back up where we were at in the book of Titus, chapter 2, as I've already told you. Grace, listen, grace doesn't cost us anything, but it's not cheap. I mean, it cost heaven the best that God had. And isn't it amazing, at least it is to me, that God gave the best that He had for the worst of us. And I fit in that category. Man, listen, I didn't deserve to be saved, but thank God I needed to be. And I'm glad. I'm glad tonight. I'm glad tonight the sweet Holy Spirit knocked on my heart's door, convicted me of my sins, convinced me that I was in need of a Savior, and wrought a work of conversion on me that I'm still I'm still rejoicing in. I'll never get over it. I don't think I'll get over it for an eternity. Now, I said last week, I believe, when, when I left, that we would pick it back up here in Titus chapter 2, and we would look at a couple of things in the book of Matthew chapter 13. We'd look at two parables specifically, a parable of the wheat and the tares and a parable of, uh, of the good fish and the bad fish, the dragnet. Now, every dispensation up to this point has ended in some kind of failure. Do you all remember that? If you did, say amen. The question is too, will the grace dispensation end in failure? And if it does, what will be that failure? First of all, will it end in failure? Watch my head. Okay, so how will we know? What will it manifest itself as? If you remember when, when God set, set forth... Um, what was, what was after the flood? Human government? Uh, when Babel, you remember Babel? They rebelled and rejected God. They, that, I mean, that's what got them in trouble there. Then the dispensation of promise under Abraham uh, was set in. Every dispensation failed. If you remember, the nation of Israel failed in disbelief and they ended up in captivity. So what is this dispensation and or they're synonymous. This church dispensation, what's going to end in? You all know the word apostasy. Who said that? Gail. It will end in apostasy. And we'll look at that in some degree tonight. I'll give you one of, I think, the biggest uh, signs of the day and the hour and the soon and certain return of Christ. 
it's just remarkable to me. You've heard me preach it, but I never get tired of preaching on the second coming of Christ. Never do. But, but look at what grace does. Now look, if you remember, I told you last week that I didn't grow up understanding the security of the believer. What the Word of God says about when we meet Jesus, we get Him as our Savior, we get eternal life. That's what the Word of God says. If you don't believe me, go to the book of John, chapter 17. Read just one, two, three verses there. Or better than that, read John 3, 16. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Either the Word of God means what it says, or it, 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 it doesn't. But I remember, I remember struggling with trying to uh, work to get God's approval, and I never could get it. I could think on times that I had it, but then I'd be sure to mess it up. You know what I'm saying? And I'd go back three steps if I just went forth. It was a great day in my life. It was a great day in my life when I realized that I was saved by grace and not by works. Now here's the, here's the, here's the paradox of this thing. Now that I'm saved, though, I want to work. But for two different reasons. Before I understood the truths of this great doctrinal truth, I work to get approval of God. Now I work because I know I have it. Did y'all hear me say that? We all really quiet. I'm going to say it again. I, I, I'm going to say, before I come to understand the truth about the doctrine of grace, I work for God's approval. Now that I know I've got it, I work because I do. That was a little better, but still real weak. Real weak. We are saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, that is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We know that Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, but verse 10 goes on to say, and we are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now James gets down to the nitty gritty. He said, you say you have faith but no works? You got a problem. Isn't that amazing? Well, y'all are awful quiet here at the beginning. This scares me. Anyway. Look what he said here in Titus. Now, the grace that God sent, listen, friend, it's no joke. It's a powerful thing. It's a marvelous thing. We found out last week it is a gift. It is an unmerited favor. Somebody even gave it the acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. And I like that. I like all of those things. But listen, it is totally a gift. You remember how I explained to you that the word grace was coined by the Greeks when they decided out of the goodness of their heart to a friend they would gift them with something just because they loved them? Well, God gifted us His Son uh, because He loved us. He gave us His Son to His enemies. Now, that's amazing to me. And I'm glad for it. I love it. But grace, like I say, it might be free to us, and it is. But it's not cheap. And it teaches us all the way through. Anybody that thinks that the teaching of grace is a license to sin doesn't know what that book says. Everybody heard me say that? Say amen. The Word of God never teaches us that grace gives us liberty to sin. It does teach us that grace gives us liberty to serve. And that's what we want to be. We're all servants to the king. Paul called himself a bondservant, a servant of the Most High. Now, wonderful. Look, look at verse 11, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. I'm, I'm repeating, I am doing it intentionally. That's a past work of grace. When I read to you, or pretty much read to you, quoted it to John 1 17, for 
For the law came by Moses, grace, or was given by Moses, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It's pretty amazing when he personified grace or, or brought grace out into the open in his life, brought it to light, he also provided a way and a means for God to save sinners like me and you. And from the onset of grace, the manifestation of grace, the work of grace, the teaching of grace, the work that it begins, it continues. Look at verse 12. He says, now look, it's had a past work. For the grace of God that brings us salvation. That's when Christ died at Calvary. But it goes on to say, teaching us. That's present tense. That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Is there anywhere in that verse, verse 12, is there anywhere in that verse that gives us a liberty to drink a little bit of wine or liquor if we want to? All right, hold on to your seats. Everybody hold on to your seats. Say amen. How about watching ungodly R-rated movies? Now folks, listen, we're living in a generation to watch R-rated movies that drop a hat and never think anything about it. Now there's a lot of R-rated movies that are that way because of violence, I understand that. But listen, friend, what used to be a shame when I was growing up in my young day is no longer a shame, it's accepted. There's more, there's more sin comes into our living room on our TVs and more on our phones and computers than we could ever imagine. And it's cost the church. It's cost them its testimony, cost them its power. I, I mean, it's costing a whole lot more. Man, I didn't know I was going to get into this, uh, but, but, but I'm telling you, the grace of God that began to work in us when we were saved by the grace of God, when we were saved in light of what Jesus did and dying for us and as us, it has a continual work. It teaches us that we're not of this world. I like Jesus' prayer, John 17, verses 11 and 14. He said, look, I, I'm going to pray for these guys. I said, listen, they're in the world, verse 11, verse 14 says, he says, but. I'm going to shout a little bit. They're not of the world. We're pilgrims and we're strangers. Hey, look, there's a lot of things. Now, please listen. There's a lot of things we could do. I've got liberty to do anything I want. Y'all understand that? And so do you, by the way. Would you understand it or not? But can I tell you what? If grace is at work in your heart, there's a lot of things you don't want. See, that's a good thing about it. You know, any time I preach that or teach that or set that up, people get just about as quiet as you all did. But for God's children, somebody that's truly, how many of y'all, how many of y'all remembered as a child just on occasion wanting to please your parents? Anybody? I mean, I mean, just because you loved them. And isn't that, isn't that the way our heart is? We want to please the Lord. We want to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful. But I'm here to tell you, he's not going to say it unless we've been it. He's just not going to pass that out just so, yeah, well done, well done. If you've not done well, if I haven't done well, we're not going to hear it. We're going through a judgment. We'll get there. Our sins are under the blood. Our names record in the Lamb's book of life. But hey, he is a holy God. Everybody believes that? Say amen. And you know what he demands of the people that serve him and know him? He, does, he demands holiness from us. Now, we're not living in that generation, friend, that really believes that. Oh, I, look, I could dig here, and I'm trying not to. Believe me, I'm trying not to. But, it, but I may. I mean, I may, I may ought to stay and just, just, you know, use the sharp end of the mattock tonight for a little while. But listen, sin affects our testimony. It affects our relationship with Jesus. 
It affects how spiritual we are or are not. It's pretty amazing. And we're living in a day when people think that anything and everything's okay. You know, they can, they can hold on to the world with one hand and the Lord with the other and everything's okay. Well, I'll tell you what, friend, if you're a child of the king, he'll take you to the woodshed till you let go of the world. And if you're not getting chastised over things you... Everybody listen, this is on, right? Yeah, it's on. If you're not being taken to the woodshed over things you know you're doing, I mean, this is going home. I don't know where it's somebody right there, or somebody right here, or somebody right here. I'm, I'm, I pretty well know about myself right now, and I'm in pretty good shape. I'm going to shout a little bit about that. There's been times I couldn't have said that from the pulpit. But listen, friend, if, if you're in a place or doing things you ought not to be, listen, God will take you to the woodshed. And if he doesn't, you're in worse trouble than if he does. I'm just saying. Chastisement's a wonderful thing. He goes on to say, it's got a future work. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. John goes on to say with that, he said, every man that hath this hope, now listen, this is a work of grace. This hope of Jesus returning, that blessed return of Christ, purifieth himself even as he is pure. Now, I, I tell you, I like preaching on the second coming of Christ, but if preaching on the second coming of Christ doesn't draw me nearer to him or doesn't stir the congregation that I'm speaking to to become more Christ-like, then either I have failed in my preaching or they have failed in listening or we have failed both together. Does that make sense? It certainly does to me. So, let's go to the book of Matthew, chapter 13. This... this um, this dispensation is going to end in apostasy, total failure. And we'll, we'll see what apostasy is in just a little bit, Lord willing, if we have, we have time. Um, what do we find in chapter 13 of the book of Matthew? Somebody, somebody tell us what's recorded here. The mystery parables of the kingdom of heaven. Now I'll explain that in, in just a minute. When, when we step into the New Testament out of the Old Testament, we run into the book of Matthew. Matthew was not the first gospel written. Does anybody know what gospel is the first gospel written according to scholars and historians? Luke was. I couldn't remember where it was Mark or Luke. If I was Mark, I'd said Mark if I were you, but there you go, you sat and you said Luke, so anyway. Um, I, think, I think it was, best I remember too. And, and Luke's, Luke's gospel, listen, friend, he's a historian. I mean to tell you, he had it down. So isn't it strange when you come out of an Old Testament, you close out an old covenant, you quit writing, and you, you would start in the beginning. It's like you start at the beginning place. But listen, God doesn't think like we think. I'm glad he doesn't. Here, here's what happened the Old Testament. The Old Testament closed with them looking for two things, a king and a kingdom. Matthew is a Jew. He was a, he was a converted tax collector. And God, listen, commissioned him, say, look, I want you to write to your own people, and I want you to write about the king. When you begin to look at the book of Matthew, it's an amazing book on many, many, many levels. But God opens the New Testament up with John the Baptist come out of the wilderness uh, just, I mean, just, I mean, maybe looking like a madman and preaching like Elijah. And what was his message? For the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, 
Doesn't that fit? They promised there's going to be a kingdom. If you've got a kingdom, you've got to have a king. And they were looking for it. 400 years of silence. Here comes John breaking the silence. Hey, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, you know what? They didn't repent. And look at what happened. If you look in chapter 1, you'll find that Gabriel said to John, or to uh, Joseph, call his name Emmanuel. Go back to the book of Isaiah and you'll find Emmanuel. In chapter 2, who comes seeking he that was born king of the Jews? The wise men, did they not? Man, I'm telling you, no doubt in my mind, Herod had a heart attack the night they come knocking on his doors. Now, there was more than three camels. There were probably 300 with them. I mean, this was a big deal when they showed up traveling from the east, been traveling, I don't know, maybe as many as eight months. And they said, now look, we've seen his star. We want to worship him. Where is he at? We've come to worship. Now get this. We've come to worship he that is born king. Well, you all know the story. It goes on, chapter 5, 6, and 7. As a king, we have the Sermon on the Mount, do we not? Do you ever have any trouble trying to understand Matthew 5, 6, and 7? If you ever have any trouble trying to fit it into your Christian experience in life, please listen to your pastor. There are, Christ, there are principles. There are principles that you'll find in chapter 5, 6, and 7 that will fit in any dispensation. But believe me when I tell you, Jesus was teaching his um, subjects as a king would over his kingdom, the law of his kingdom. That's what he was teaching them. Everybody heard me say that? Say Amen. There are principles there that apply under any dispensation. But you know what they should have done? They should have embraced Him, should have accepted Him, should have seen Him. That wasn't what happened. And I, I'm cutting this down. Chapter, chapter, chapter 8, 9, and 10. Chapter 8 and 9. You know what Jesus did after teaching like a king? After sitting on a hillside over all of His subjects? You know what He did? He proved that He had power to back up His Word. He performed 10 miracles that God saw fit to list in chapters 8 and 9. Man, you know what that is? Proof of the power of a king. But in chapter 10, you know what happened? They rejected him. He even pronounced woe upon two cities. One city they think maybe they finally located, Bethsaida. Up in the north, near Galilee, uh, near Capernaum or Capernaum. Um, and he pronounced woe on, on Capernaum and also on Bethsaida. Because he said, if the mighty works that have been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sodom, and they had repented a long time ago. But you know what Jesus did? Listen, listen now. Because he rejected, because they as a nation rejected him. You'll see him sending out a group of people to preach in chapter 10. He rejected them. Chapter 11, something changes. It goes from a national call. John was in prison. When John got in prison, Jesus picked up preaching. And it's okay to steal somebody else's outline. John preached, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you know what Jesus preached? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's nothing wrong with borrowing somebody else's message. Matter of fact, people are foolish if they don't, even they're really, really good. But he changed something in chapter 11. He went from a national invitation to a individual invitation some of the most beloved scripture we've got in the scripture chapter 11 verse 28 9 and 30 come unto me all you that labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest you all remember that take my yoke upon you learn of me for I'm making lonely and hard and you shall find rest for your soul 
It slips my mind right now. I'm not going to look what went on in chapter 12. Somebody look if you want to tell me here in a minute. But we step into chapter 13. And here it is. What is going to happen on planet earth while the kingdom of heaven has been postponed? And hence, we have seven parables. We have the parable of the sower and the seed. We have the parable of the wheat and the tares. We have the parable of the good fish, the bad fish, the dragnet. We have the parable of the mustard seed, of, of, um, of leaven, of, of the pearl of great price, of the hidden treasure. And I don't know which other one. I don't know how many I mentioned. I wasn't using my fingers to count them. But this is a picture of what is going to happen in this day. While the kingdom, now listen, please listen, is postponed. Everybody heard me say that, say amen. God is going to keep his promise to Abraham, to, to, to the Palestinians in their covenant, to the nation of Israel, to David and him and his descendants. God is going to keep that. All of those covenants are going to be fulfilled. The kingdom is being postponed during this period of time, Acts chapter 15, God is taking out from among the Gentiles a bride for his son. And when, listen now, that's the church, when that number is complete, you know what's going to happen? He's going to call us home, and then he's going to come and set up his kingdom. But the kingdom now is in mystery form. Somebody define a mystery. Something that has not been, it is a divine secret, actually. Something that has not been revealed. Something that man cannot figure out on man's own with all the wisdom man has, all the ability that he has, and it cannot be understood until God reveals it to you. He opens the curtains and said, look here. And when we look at it under the spirit, illuminating light of the spirit of it said, well, man, how simple. How many, of, how many of y'all have ever had an illumination on a revelation? You don't get new revelations in this age. You get illumination on revelation. You, I mean, you look at it and say, well, man, how did I miss that? It just wasn't time for us to get that. So look, in these parables, and man, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. The first parable, the sower of the seed, it lays out the way all these seven parables are to be interpreted. Now, what is a parable? Anybody? It is that. It is something literally that you throw down alongside. You throw down a story alongside a truth to try to make an understanding. It is an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. And in a parable, listen, a parable, if I remember correctly what I have been taught, and I'm made to believe it, I accept it, nobody made me, it's teaching generally one major truth. What we get in trouble with if we're not careful trying to understand parables is trying to make everything fits something and, and be a type or a picture. We ought not to do that. We ought to look for the one, for the one great truth that this parable is being uh, communicated from God to us. Are we, are we clear? Are we good? So if you look at the parable of the, of the seed and the sower, you'll find what who the sower is, it's Jesus. What the seed is, it's the Word of God. Uh, where is He doing His work in the world? Uh, the four different uh, hearts, not four different kinds of seed. You're going to see that uh, not all of them, the believers, only one of them bore fruit. 
and he gives the explanation of it. So we're going to have to guess. The same as it is with the second parable, the wheat and the tares, and that's where we're going to start. Now, while I'm getting me a drink of water and getting a breath, anybody got a question that I need to uh, uh, clarify on? Are we all pretty much on the same page? Is this good? Are we okay? Okay. Let's pick it up in um, verse 24 in in Matthew 13. And another another parable put he forth unto them, saying, watch this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, say the next two words with me, is likened. Hey, everybody look up here. Two key words in the word of God. Is likened powerful it isn't but it like it's like something it's not that but it's like something I mean when you get in the word of God the word of God will tell you when it's trying to show us a picture when it's giving us a symbol you can see the word as is another one as and like or like a but that's just on a side note he said the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in the field. Now, if we go back and look at the interpretation of the parable that, that, that Jesus has already given, we'd find that the, that, the world, that the world is the field and that the person sowing the good seed is Jesus Christ. Would you all agree with that? But look what goes on. What's the next word? Uh-oh. Something's changing. But while men sleep or slept, His enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Now, can anybody give us a good definition or describe tares and what it is? It is a weed. It looks like wheat until when? Until harvest, until it bears its fruit. Now, one of the things about tares is, is what you cannot see. Does anybody know anything about its root system? It is shallow, but what else? It intertwines itself with what it's near, i.e., that is, the wheat. It tries to choke it out, but if you pull it out, it's going to pull up some wheat with it. It's pretty amazing. It's going to injure, it's going to injure the crop. Pretty amazing stuff this is. Now, who do you think the enemy is? Exactly. Y'all been reading, haven't you? But when the blade was sprung up, and here's the key, brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. Matter of fact, the tares, I think, if you get down to it, it is potentially um, poisonous, if I remember correctly, some of the stuff that I read. So the servants of the household came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? And he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together. What's the next word? Until. Boy, that listen, that's a great word. When you come across it in the Bible, try to figure out what it's talking about until what. He said until... Um, until the harvest, and in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, bind them into bundles, burn them, but gather the wheat into the barn. Now step over into verse 36. Now as we go there before I read 
What do you all understand about that parable? But, but here's the key, okay? She said, don't you think today we can see the separation of the wheat and the tares? You can if you're spiritually minded, but a lot of people have no idea. Now look, look, and thank you, God, love you. Thank, that's good to see you, by the way. Thank you for asking that question. Here's the terrible thing about the tares. They look so much like Christians, but they're not that people think they are. It is terrifying. She said, it's scary. I say it's terrifying. And that's why, one of the, that's why we're in the mess we're in in America, big reason. That's why the church is in her mess. That's why churches just let it. They open the door, let anything in. Yeah, 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 let's put on them unitarts and get them banners up. Just let our pe- people run around the stage like crazy. Woo, glory to God. Hey, let's get us a dance team. Let's replace a choir with praise and worship team. Let, let's entertain everybody back there. Everybody up here be busy. Now, folks, we're in a mess. If, if I tell you after Mike said what he did, if you're not careful, you can get so fixated on that, you'll lose your joy. You, y'all know what I'm saying if I say, boy, you know, if you're not careful, that'll eat you lunch. See, I was, see, going back to my living, you know, like you got to work to get to heaven, and that's how you know you're saved, and that, you know, all that kind of stuff. I used to have awful time trying to figure out who people were saved or not. It was a good day when I said, you know what, I can't figure it out. I'm just going to trust the Lord. <laughs> You're talking about getting rid of a burden, folks. Glory to God. I, I, I don't have to worry about it. You know, if you say you're saved, if you halfway act like it, I'll call you a brother. It shocks most Christians when somebody proves they're not a Christian. We give people the benefit of the doubt. We want them to be saved. We, we hope that they are. Hey, but listen to this old, listen to this old preacher. Everybody carries a Bible is not going to heaven. Man, I'm telling you what, the Bible says that the devils or the demons believe and tremble. But they're lost. It's pretty amazing. So thank you for asking that. Listen, we've got tares galore. And it's not up to me. Listen, I listen to them preach, listen to them teach. I'm I'm examining their fruit. But in the end, it's not up to me. I want everybody to go to heaven. I really do. I want to get there, but I want everybody else to go too. But that's up to the Lord. He knows the heart, not me, not me. Now, here's the thing about apostasy. Now, look, a lot of times years ago, years ago, when people would try to understand these parables, they would teach this about two parables, about the parable of the wheat and the tare. They would teach that the gospel was going to go in all the world and win everybody. Hey, everybody look up here. And that's not true. It's not what this teaches. They, they, they would teach that the church is going to bring in the kingdom. Uh-uh, folks. As I have shown you up to this time, five times, five dispensations ended in rebellion, ended in failure because of man, so will the dispensation of grace. Not because it's not holy, not because, uh, friend, anything that God has done, but because of what man does with it. Let me give you another parable real quick. Look, I, I hate a clock, but I know they're necessary. They're necessary. The, 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 the parable of the, of the leaven. Y'all remember that? Now look, let me give you all a little Bible study lesson. There are different laws that are given. They're placed in the Word of God, actually. Men have discovered them and, and said, well, let, let's call this science of rightly dividing the Word of God, learning how to interpret rightly the Word of God. We'll call it hermeneutics. I never forget, I heard that, I thought, Herman who? Hermeneutics. 
And one of the laws of hermeneutics is the law of first mention. How many of y'all ever heard that? Just raise your hand. I'm going to see. Raise your hand. You know what that means? It means when you find something for the first time in the Word of God, you, you, you discover its meaning and or its definition, and a meaning is different than definition now, but when you determine what it is, what it is expressing and presenting, then everywhere after that, it always means the same. Now, that's a law. Now, a lot of people would say, well, it doesn't fit with the law of leaven. Leaven is a type of unsound doctrine. Remember that? Jesus said, beware the doctrine or the leaven of the Pharisees. He meant their doctrine. All right? People would say, you know what? Leaven, every other place in the Word of God would always speak about sin or something negative, you know, something bad, until you get here to the parable of the Leaven, that that woman hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven. Hey, can I tell you what that's a picture of? It's a picture of the corruption that's in the church today. Y'all have read the book of Revelation and read about the Laodicean church, have you not? Have you ever read Luke? And I, I say this now rhetorical and I'm not being mean. I'm just, I'm trying I'm with you. In Luke 18 and 8, Jesus asked this question, and I'd love to know more about this than I do, but he asked this question, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? They tell me, the scholars do, that that is written in the Greek in such a way that it demands a negative answer. Now, the key to that is finding out what, when the Son of Man comes, will he find the faith? Does it mean faith from people into uh, that uh, or, or faith that they have put into that body of truth that the Word of God calls the faith? I, I, don't, I still yet don't have it lined out. If somebody's listening knows or even hearing on sermon audio, you can get my address and get me. I, enlighten me, I want to know. But here's what I do know. I know this dispensation of grace, friend, is going to end in apostasy. And believe me when I tell you, I used to say we're neck deep, but we're eye deep in it now. We're swimming in apostasy. Now, we're not a perfect church here at Roxland, and I've got to quit on this. I'll pick back up right here, the Lord willing, next week. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, listen, our desire is to be right. We, we want to teach and preach the Word of God. We want to put Christ in the center of everything we do. All that we do, we want to do for His glory and honor. We want people to be saved. We want them to grow in His grace and knowledge. We just want to glorify Him. Pretty amazing. This stuff is good. So, I'm not done, but I've got to quit. So if you need to pray, want to pray, we sing a verse of song, we'll, uh, we'll give you that time.